Welcome to Kevin Condor's podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of David, based on Kevin's best-selling book by the same title. It's available in paperback and e-back formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Finally, the ongoing impact of Kevin's ministry is only possible because of the generosity of friends and supporters like you. Why not consider making a donation today at kevinconnor.org forward slash donate. Thanks very much. Exodus chapter 40, and I want to read from verses uh, 17 uh, through to the close of the chapter. I make no apology for reading the word, but I want you to notice a particular phrase that's used here, and this particularly has to do with the uh, tabernacle of, of Moses, as it's referred to, the first tabernacle that God built. All right, so verse 17. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent ab uh, above upon it. And why don't you say this with me? As the Lord commanded Moses. Let's all say it again. And each time we come to that expression, I want you to say it seven times in this uh, closing chapter of the book of Exodus, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses. So when we come to that, I want you as a congregation, just say it with me, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 20, And he took and put the testimony into the ark, and set the staves on the ark, and put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle, and set up the veil of the covering, and covered the ark of the testimony, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the candlestick or the lampstand in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. And he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil. And he burnt sweet incense thereon, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of burnt offering by the, by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he set the laver before, between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and put water therein to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat, when they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We sing the song, See His Glory Come Down. How many would just like to see the glory of the Lord come down that nobody could minister. What a service. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, 
and fire was honoured by night, God a consuming fire, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now I just want to take a very, very brief moment here and then just take some time in the Word of God. We've been sharing together in our series on the Tabernacle of Moses and particularly last Sunday, uh, we noticed together, taking from the prophet Isaiah, that in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house would be established in the top of the mountains and exalted above the hills. We saw together that in Israel's history there were three most important mountains. God was always doing something in mountains, but the three most important mountains that we have in the history of Israel were Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. And the reason these three mountains were the most important mountains in Israel's history was this, because in each mountain there was a house of the Lord. In the, in the Mount Sinai, there was the tabernacle of Moses, the tent of God, the tabernacle of the Lord, referred to as the tabernacle of Moses. Then in Mount Zion, there was the tabernacle of David. And then we find eventually in Mount Moriah, there was the temple of Solomon, as it's referred to. So a mountain and a house, a mountain and a house. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house would be established in the top of the mountains and all nations would flow to it. Only one nation could flow to that uh, mountain and that house. But in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house would be established on the top of the mountains and out of every kindred, tongue, tribe and nation, all nations would flow to it. Can we say praise God? All right, so we have the mountain and the house and the mountain and the house and many nations will say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. And so together in our session last Sunday, we found that we had two symbolic things in those, uh, that passage of scripture, a mountain and a house. A mountain is symbolic of what? Everybody say it. Mountain is symbolic of a kingdom, the kingdom of God in this case. Uh, the mountain of the Lord's house. And a house is symbolic of what? The church. Okay, so we have the kingdom and the church. Upon this rock I will build my church and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. All right, so we have the mountain and the house. So in Isaiah's time, in the Old Testament times, these mountains were symbolic. These houses were symbolic, but the prophet, looking down to the last days in which you and I are living, in the last of the last days, we believe, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains, exalted above Mount Sinai, exalted above Mount Zion, exalted above Mount Moriah, because these were symbolic mountains, but the Lord's house. And as we finished our message last Sunday, uh, the prophet said, all nations will flow to it. And we saw how unnatural, how supernatural it was for anything to flow uphill. But if the Lord Jesus Christ is in that house, we would see Jesus. If Jesus is in the house, what does he say? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, not mixture with the earth and things of the earth and worldly uh, gimmicks and everything, but I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will be the great magnet, I will draw all men unto me. So there must be something going on up in this house, this house of the Lord where Christ is in the midst and he's the drawing power. How many are here this morning because you feel the Lord's drawing you? There's no distinct personality here. None of us are out to, you know, impress anybody. We want Jesus here. We want him to be the magnet. So no one man gets the glory and we're deifying men. Jesus Christ, he's the only one we deify because he's God. He's the God-man, he's the Word made flesh. So if I, I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now, just because of our time this morning, I do need to say 
uh, these things here. Let me just remind you of what we had here too. There were three most important structures, as we've said, in these mountains. The tabernacle of the Lord, which was referred to as the tabernacle of Moses, and then the tent of David, or the tabernacle of David, in which alone was the Ark of the Covenant. And then when the Temple of Solomon eventually came, not a tabernacle, not a tabernacle, not a tent, in other words, but a temple, the Temple of Solomon was the embodiment of everything that had gone before. The Temple of Solomon involved in, in, uh, embodied everything that was here in the Tabernacle of Moses. It embo uh, embodied everything that was in the Tabernacle of David. But the order that God gave for these Old Testament dwelling places was number one, the Tabernacle of Moses as we refer to it, Number two, the tabernacle of David, as we refer to it, and then eventually the temple of Solomon. Three houses of the Lord. Three houses of the Lord. Now, what I want to cover this morning, and uh, a very special, and it's going to be a complete, unique service next Sunday morning to anything you've ever been in, I'm sure, because of the approach we're going to be taking. Uh, it's impossible to understand the temple of Solomon and every, everything embodied there, without understanding the tabernacle of David and what's embodied there. But it's impossible to understand the tabernacle of David and what's embodied there without understanding, at least in, in, in an overview, what's embodied there. So first we take this order. Now, I want you, if you're taking down notes this morning, just take down these five points that we're going to share in our, in our limited time because commitment is Sunday is a very important Sunday and we don't want to be... Uh, feel we're rushing through things here. All right, now, in building a house, okay, these were the houses of the Lord. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains. In Mount Sinai, the house of God was there, the tabernacle of Moses. In Mount Zion, the house of God was there, the tabernacle of David. In Mount Moriah, the house of God was there, the temple of Solomon. These were God's houses, God's dwelling place. Now, just before I, I, I pick up those five points with you, I want you to go over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And I'd like to pick up a verse there. Romans chapter 2. I think we're living in very exciting days. I believe God's doing something in the church here, don't you? In the people of God, how many believe that? We just want, want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 2, reading from the authorized here, there's a little expression I want you to pick up here. Paul, writing to the Jews, writing to the Jews, and uh, you'll notice that in verse 17, you are called a Jew, you're resting in the law, and then so forth. Now in verse 20, in speaking to the Jew here, he says, you believe that you are an instructor of the foolish. The Jew felt they were the instructor, the Gentiles were the foolish. A teacher of babes. The Jews felt they were the teachers because they had the Old Testament scriptures. The babes were the Gentiles. Now listen to this uh, last clause of verse 20. Which has the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Let me say it again and let it sink into your hearts. Which has the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Now, as we look at these things, and we're particularly looking at uh, the first house, just uh, briefly in five particular things this morning, when we go back to the tabernacle of Moses, and we think of all the intricate details that God has given, and all the form, all the form, 
Uh, we wonder what God gave it for. And I've heard some preachers say, well, God gave them all this external form in the Temple of Solomon, the Tabernacle of Moses, and David, everything like that, just to sort of amuse them, give them something to do. But how many know that God didn't give it for that? God had a purpose in mind. And the Greek thought that we had in the word form here is, it's the external form. Listen to the word. You have in the, in the, in the law an external form of knowledge and truth. So for centuries, for years, God brought the nation of Israel to the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness and then on into Canaan land, then to the tabernacle of David and its particular order of worship they were eventually getting to, then to the temple of Solomon and everything that was embodied there. And for 1,500 years of the law, they had the external form. And when they came to the altar of brass, as it was called, and the golden lampstand or the Ark of the Covenant, commune with me between the wings of the cherubim, we sing it, and we understand what we're singing. It was all the external form. But within the external form, there was knowledge and truth hidden. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Within the external form, there was knowledge and truth hidden. But when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, God finished with the external form. How do we know? Because as Jesus was hanging out there on Calvary, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. As Jesus Christ is lifted up from the earth, rejected of earth, forsaken of heaven, and yet his, his cross becomes the connection between heaven and earth. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw. And so on the cross were the inscriptions, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was written in Roman, Latin. It was written in Greek. It was written in Hebrew. Three ethnic divisions. The Jews representing the religious and the Greeks representing the wisdom and Rome representing Latin, the might. And I, if I be lifted up, so he's lifted up on the cross, to draw. And as he's hanging there on the cross, what does God do? God goes over to what was the temple of Herod then. And as the priest is probably standing before the veil in the afternoon, offering the blood of the sacrifice that has been offered on the altar, God rent the veil from top to bottom. And in modern vernacular, he said, you boys are out of a job. Hallelujah. I am finished with the external form. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled and abolished the external form, but the knowledge and truth that is in the external form remains because knowledge and truth are eternal. Let me say it again, saints, so it sinks in because it's going to make our, our worship services much more meaningful. It's going to make more room for God to come into our midst, make more room for the presence of God. I, I hope so much that the glory of God just descends. Hallelujah. We were in a World Map Camp meeting in, in the States one time. I personally was not there, but as they were singing that beautiful chorus uh, from Argentina, O cloud of gl great glory, thou presence of God, that chorus was born there. Hundreds of people saw a visible manifestation of the cloud in the, in, in the meeting there. And they just worshipped, O cloud of great glory, thou presence of God. Descend thou upon us on wings like a dove. And, the, uh, and hundreds of people just saw the cloud of God's presence and God's glory. 
And the glory was so great that for a while nobody could minister. God can do more in five minutes in his presence and glory than we can in an hour. I want to make room for the Spirit of God. And how many know this nation needs a move of God's Spirit? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when Jesus died on the cross, he abolished the external form. But the knowledge and truth that was in the external form remained because knowledge and truth are eternal. So let me finish on this and then we're going to go into our commitment service. The reason we go back, because sometimes people say to me, well, Kevin, why do you even bother with this stuff? Why, you know, why waste time on it all? Well, we haven't been wasting time on anything. Just we don't understand some of these things. And so many new people in the church. But the reason we go back to the external form is not to worship the form, but to try and discover the knowledge and truth that was hidden in the form. Because that knowledge and truth are to bring us to Jesus. And see, one of the uh, tragic things, and uh, let me turn to one more scripture. I'd like you to turn over to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16, and we're just, we're just going to have to pick this up next Sunday uh, and just continue the next Sunday. Okay, 2 Kings. 2 Kings. Now, I'd rather say something that the Spirit of God gets across to you than rush too much. Okay, 2 Kings. 2 Kings. Now, we have to watch this in a church like this, and you know I'm continually saying this, but I need to continually say it to remind ourselves. The tragedy is that when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom, and God abolished the external form, what happened? Israel carried on the external form. They sewed up the veil, history tells us, to hide it from the Jews, and they carried on the external form and missed the knowledge and truth that was in the form. Until in AD 70, God used Prince Titus and the Roman armies to come in and destroy the temple. And as they threw flaming torches into the temple, the silver and gold, because it was also a treasury up in the upper chambers, the silver and gold melted between the stones, and the Roman soldiers over turned every stone in the temple to recover the silver and gold. And what did God do that for? Because they carried on the external form, but they missed the knowledge and truth that was in the form. And it's always dangerous and possible for us as a church, as so many churches, to just to, just to degenerate into an external form of service and miss the knowledge and truth and miss the spirit. Is that right? Second Kings 18, verse 4. Let's finish on this to show you an example. Hezekiah has just come to the throne. 2 Kings 18, verse 4. And Hezekiah's come to the throne. And what, what happened when he came to the throne? He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it Nehishtan, a piece of brass. And you realize the significance of that? Hundreds of years before Moses had lifted up the serpent of brass, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and as, they, as he lifted up that serpent of brass in the wilderness, on a pole, and if I be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And as Moses lifted up that serpent, uh, serpent of brass, 
He sent the gospel message that everybody who is dying of blood poison through the poison of the serpent, Satan, sin, and sickness and disease, as many as looked to the serpent of brass, were healed. Great wave of healing. God moved in a wonderful visitation as he upheld the brazen serpent and uh, a nation was healed. Looking to a piece of brass, you say superstition. No, God moved that way. There was a visitation of the Spirit of God, great wave of healing. But what had happened? Over the years, the very thing that God had used in a visitation now becomes a thing of idolatry. And this is what happens in church history. As we often say, the only thing we learn from church history is we never learn from church history. And so things become idolatrous. And Hezekiah, he was willing as a leader to break the thing. And he, they could have said, hey, Hezekiah, Moses did that. You don't touch anything Moses did. That's Moses serving the brass. God healed people there. We had a wave of healing there. And if you dare touch that, we'll get rid of you. Uh-uh. He broke it and said, this is idolatry. It's a piece of brass. Let's not worship the serpent of brass, the external form, but let's worship the one whom the serpent of brass pointed to, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him, saints, it's him. Can you say amen? We're going to have to quit there. Come back next Sunday for this exciting episode. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.